Good morning, everybody. All right, if you were in the fourth or fifth grade, you are dismissed to your class. Fourth and fifth graders, you are dismissed to your class at this time. This morning, we're going to wrap up our three-week series. We've been talking about dashboard, and it's sort of taking the analogy of your car dashboard. Usually on your dashboard are little indicators that when something's wrong with your car, it goes off, and it lets you know not only are you about to spend a lot of money, but you've got that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach that something is wrong with your car, you need to take it in to get it worked on, or you're going to suffer major problems down the road. And in that same way, what if we had warning lights in our life, sort of a dashboard of life, indicators that would go off when certain areas of our life were amiss that told us, hey, you better pay attention to this area, or it needs some help, or something's going on that you need to get checked out. And so the very first week, we talked about our spiritual life, and we talked about uh, 12 different indicators that should go off on your spiritual life dashboard that there's a problem, that you need to get this worked out with God, that something is wrong. And then last week, we talked about in the area of relationships. And so we gave, I talked to uh, those of you who are married, and then we went to a list of those who are not married yet, and gave another list of, hey, these should be indicators that go off on your life dashboard that something is wrong with your spiritual life and needs to be taken care of. And so that's where we've been this morning. I want to move to the final week on your thought life. And in that, what are the warning signals that should go off on our dashboard when there's something that goes off in terms of our thought life, the the thoughts that we have? And for me, I think the thought life is critical to our spiritual life and the relationship life. Like, the first two weeks, are, these are all interdependent. They are all very interconnected because your thought life will dictate your spiritual life and your thought life will dictate your kind of relationships that you have. For example, in the spiritual life, how you think about God, the thoughts you have about God will determine what kind of a spiritual life that you have. So if your view of God, if your thought of God is that he is distant, he is removed, he is absent, that will affect your, your spiritual life. If your God, your thoughts about God are he's always angry with you, he's always frustrated with you, or he's a perfectionist in terms of your life and how you conduct, then you're going to relate to God in that way. And oftentimes, it goes based on your earthly father. Like, however, if your earthly father was absent in your life, it's very easy to transfer that to our heavenly father, that he's not there for us, he's not concerned by us. If your earthly father was very harsh on you or a perfectionist in some particular area, it's very easy to transfer that over to our heavenly father. And so I'm just the point I want to make is just our thought life oftentimes will dictate our spiritual life. And the same way with our relationships. What you think about in regards to your friendship groups or your spouse or the person that you're dating, all those thoughts will dictate in the end what happens in your relational life. And so the thought life is very critical for us. If you want, there's several passages this morning I'm going to offer that really I think would be very helpful just to memorize. The first one is in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. This is the Proverbs, uh, this is the way of saying this is how important it is. It says this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And basically what the writer of Proverbs is trying to say is what's going on in your mind is going to play out in your life. You are going to become what it is that you think. And so if you think of yourself in this way, that's probably how you'll end up. Or if you think of yourself in this way, that's how you're going to end up. But the power of our thoughts is it will ultimately dictate the kind of life that it is that we have Everything, and this happens in just the smallest of ways. And so I think about things like um, sports teams. Did you know they hire psychologists to serve on the team? You know why that is? Because sports teams, the owners and managers, they recognize that sometimes the problem that a player might have is all in his head. It's just his thought life. And so it's not that he's not physically capable of doing something, of hitting the home run. It's something in his brain has gone amiss, and he's convinced himself by his thoughts that he's no longer able to do it, and then they go into a slump. 
And I see this even in little leagues. Like, have you ever watched little kids go up to bat and you could tell just by their countenance that they do not believe that they can hit the ball or that they're going to get hit by the ball? Like, literally. Have you ever seen that? So the kid's standing six feet away from the, the, the plate, and I know it'll scoot up. I mean, because in his mind, what's happening is his thought is going, I'm going to get hit by that pitch, and it's going to really hurt, and it's going to kill me. And so he's, right, he's backing off, right? You could see a kid if he doesn't think he can hit the ball. And so these are the things we recognize. That's just a small example. You could blow it up into, if you believe that you are stupid in some particular area of life in your workplace, then you'll begin to see that manifest in your workplace. You'll begin to isolate yourself, withdraw from those, those sorts of things. Some of you are battling depression and anxiety because of your thought life. And some of you have real physical illnesses, like real pain because of what's going on in your thought life. And so, like, I'm just notorious for you give me 12 symptoms of some disease, and in two hours, I'll have all of them. Like, purple tongue, I'll look in the mirror, and my tongue will be as purple as it could be, right? And so that's the thought life, just manifests in our body. I've actually, I'm not kidding, like, I've had, like, a pain, like, in my side for months, and I will go get a scan, and the doctor will say, nope, I can't find it, it's fine. And it will go away just like that. You know why? Because the power of my thoughts, I'm psychosomatically able to create pain in my body because your pastor is crazy. That's what this means. Is what you're... Everything flows out of your thought. Your thoughts are the engine that runs everything else. Did you know you can't have a feeling without it first originating as a thought? Just your entire emotional life, your feelings, they first it begins with a thought. And then after the thought comes the emotional feeling behind it. So your thoughts drive your feelings. They drive your emotions. Did you know all of your behaviors are a result of your thoughts? Every one of them. This is why the thought life isn't as tricky as we make it out to be. Just look at your behaviors and that will tell us what you really think. Because we can say with our mouth whatever we want to, but our behaviors betray our true thoughts. They give away what we really think. And so we know even the act of giving your life to Jesus, like that word we use, like conversion, begins in our thinking. There's a New Testament word we throw around, kind of a deep theological word. It's called repentance. The Greek word for repentance literally means to change one's thinking. That's what it means. Like when I repent from something, what that means is I am literally changing the way that I'm going to think about this or this person or whatever it is that's going on in my life. And so Paul will say in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then he'll go on and say this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's interesting, I think, in this passage, what he says, uh, he says, but be transformed by what? What does he say? By the renewing of our mind. See, we talk a lot here about spiritual transformation. We want people not just to, hey, we're not interested in getting bigger as a church. What we're interested in is to see lives transformed and changed. And Paul gives us the secret to true life change, true spiritual transformation. It begins with the renewing of the mind. And it is a process that takes place. What I find is people that, you know, they kind of spend 30 years without Jesus in their life. They all of a sudden give their life to Jesus. And often they get very discouraged because right after they give their life to Jesus, everything's not necessarily different. Like they still have those same thoughts. They still have some of those same behaviors. And that's because it's not like a hard drive that gets wiped out in your brain. What happens is you've got 30 years of a way of thinking. You've got 30 years of a way of, of behaving. And what now Paul says is if you want your life now to be transformed in Jesus, you have to go back and begin to renew your mind, your thoughts and your behavior. Where does that come from? Why do I do that? And now that I belong to Jesus, how do I think differently? That's what it means to have the renewing of our mind. 
But there is a battle taking place right now for your mind. And I, and I want to say, I don't think Satan has near as much power as most Christians give to him. Like, I hear us attribute to Satan all sorts of things that in my mind I think, I don't think theologically you could put that on Satan. I don't think he's that powerful in that way. And so I think we extend to him more than he rightfully deserves. But the realm that I think he does mess with us the most in is in our thinking. And Satan's predominant weapon here is lies. If he can change the way you think about God by lying to you, it will change everything in your spiritual life. If, if he could come in and convince you through lies that your spouse is and you can fill in the blank and that will change the way that you relate to your spouse. If he could convince you that all of your friends are talking behind your back and they really don't like you and you kind of get that, I mean, then that will change everything in terms of your... And so what happens is it is in this realm of lies that I think Satan has its most power, his most effective weapon against us. Jesus himself says in John 8 verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and a father of lies. And so then Satan lies to us, and when it manifests, it has the power to destroy our marriage and our home and our finances and our emotional life. Satan's point of entry in our life is through our mind. And so what we want is to be able to seal that point of entry off and to give him no access whatsoever to our thinking. This is why Paul will say in 2 Corinthians, and this is another good passage to memorize, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, the language there is talking about the system of thinking, our thought life. It has the power to demolish those strongholds of thought that get implanted in our heads. We demolish arguments and every pretensions that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So how do we, do, how do we live a life where every thought we take captive and we make it obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ? So with that, let me give you, I've got ten signs, ten warning signs that should throw a light off on our dashboard in terms of our thought life that something is seriously wrong and needs to have attention paid to it. So number one, you know something is seriously wrong in your thought life when, one, you believe vampires and werewolves are real and or sexy. <laughs> Who wants to confess? Who saw the movie this weekend? Who wants to confess? Yeah. I don't have much to say about this. This is more of a joke, I think. <laughs> so, husbands, you're welcome. Number two. You believe your thoughts are greater than God's thoughts. You believe your thoughts are greater than God's thoughts. Now, here's the tricky part of this. Nobody really will say they believe this or think this. They just don't. I mean, nobody says, I mean, God, he's smart and all, but I am really smarter than God. Nobody says that. Nobody consciously will say out loud with their mouth that I know more than God. I can think better about my life than God. I, but what happens is it goes back to that behavior thing. The behaviors betray that. And what we find is when we begin to behave in a way that is counter what God has said for our lives, what we really then know is going off in our thought life is you believe you are smarter than God. You believe that your thoughts are greater than God. And so you've got God saying through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And oftentimes there's this disconnect between what we know God has said about our, about our life and how it ought to be and what we actually do in behavior. And in the end what it shows is you believe that your thinking is better than God's when it comes to your own life. That's what it really And so what I would say, we've used this phrase before, is you believe you are the biblical exception. 
And I hear that all the time here at the Living Stones Church. Like, I know what the Bible says, and I know, I mean, I know his will for, I mean, I know, but I've got it worked out with God. Like, you had some special conversation with God in your bedroom that got him to say, yeah, that whole thing I had about, like, the sexual life and what that looks like in covenant, that doesn't apply to you. You're the one exception on the face of the earth. And I just want to say, you are not the one exception on the face of the earth. You're not. Your thoughts are not greater than God's thoughts. And there is a reason why he, as our creator, who knows us, who put us together, who knows every fiber of our beings and even our own thoughts, has asked us to live life under him in this way. And when we begin to say, yeah, but this is a very special case, and I think in the end God will understand that I'm economically hurting right now and that's why I need to make this decision. And and no, no, no. In the end what that reveals is that you think your thoughts in terms of your life is better than God's. And so I see this all the time. I mean, what... When couples, when they begin to build their foundation and their future together, but it's not really on what God wants them to do, and then later they want God to bless everything, it's a big shock when the walls come flying down on the foundation that was cracked from the very beginning because they thought in their particular circumstance they were special or they had some sort of arrangement worked out with God. And so let me just say this. This won't be so much a warning that goes off because of your thoughts because you will think to yourself, oh, no, I think God, I'm asking you to look at your behavior, which will be a good sign of your true thoughts. Have you dismissed things in your life as you are the exception? You're the, you're the exception to the rule biblically because of whatever. That would be a good indicator that you think that at least when it comes to your life, your thoughts really are greater than God's thoughts. Number two, or number three, your thoughts are perpetually negative, critical, and or self-condemning. Your thoughts are perpetually negative, critical, and or self-condemning. And sometimes this just happens to us out of the circumstances of life. When you get beat up by it feels like everyone around you, it is a very easy thing to move into this place where it's hard not to be negative all the time. It's hard not to assume the worst. It's hard not to be critical. It's hard not to be self-condemning. And this manifests its way in several ways. One is just the negative psychic. Anyone ever know a negative psychic? They've got no evidence about what's really going to happen in the future, but they know it's bad. And so everything that they're involved in, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to work out. They assume the worst in every relationship, every opportunity. It's just not going to. And so they have already forecast, they've already predicted what's going to happen. And it's never positive, it's always negative. Has anyone ever called you Eeyore? Do you know who Eeyore is? On Winnie the Pooh? You know, the donkey. That's just, it's never going to work out. I mean, if anyone's ever called you Eeyore, that might be a warning light that should go off on your life that says, maybe my thoughts are perpetually negative or critical, or self-condemning. Oftentimes, they're self-fulfilling thoughts when you kind of move into this area. And I know somebody who I love who, uh, she doesn't like herself, really. I mean, honestly, when she thinks about herself, she's insecure, she doesn't like who she is. And what happens is she enters into every potential friendship or relationship assuming that they will not like her. That's what she, now the reason why she does this is because she doesn't like herself. But what happens is, because she enters into almost every relationship, every friendship, assuming at some point they're going to reject me, they're not really going to like me, they're going to find out this about my life, and they're going to turn their back on me, what she begins to do is she begins to isolate herself, and she begins to withdraw from other people, or she even goes so far as to sabotage, in very small little sabotage those relationships. And you know what ultimately happens? They do isolate themselves. They do withdraw. And it's not because they don't want to be friends. It's because that thinking in her mind led her to a posture of isolating and withdrawing and rejecting other people. And it became a self-fulfilling prophecy in her own life just based on her thinking. Now, what would happen if she could change the direction of her thinking where she could like who she is in God? That in Jesus, she likes who she is, and she could stop assuming that everybody else is going to not like her and reject her. It will change. You see how that changes everything in her life? And sometimes it just comes out of that, those self-fulfilling thoughts. Or you might be a kind of person where, you, do you always dismiss the positive? 
Like, even in terms of compliments, somebody will say something, but your response will always be, yeah, but, I mean, they had to say that because, and then you fill in the blank. And so sometimes you dismiss all the positive, it doesn't count somehow, or you're continually condemning yourself. And sometimes about things that happened like a decade ago or even longer, just you can't seem to let go of something in your life, and so there's always this, this spirit of condemnation on your life. And so I would say, if that's where you're at, really, Paul says in Romans 8.1, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Not partial, not maybe, not mean none. There is no con. So if you have those condemning thoughts, those are not coming from God. And you need to, you need to be able to identify those because this is how I think Satan works. He begins to work in our mind by saying, well, you know God can't possibly love you because you did this back in 1997. He just can't. Or even this morning, you might be sitting here and you're thinking, I know what happened last night. And because of that, I bet God is just, he, I mean, Listen, if you have those overwhelming, condemning, self-condemning thoughts, that is not from our Savior. That's from, that's from the Father of lies. We need to be able to know, oh, yeah, that's right. And so here's what Paul will say in Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. And I can't, here's another just verse you can memorize because... In my life, this is like if I had a sin in my life, here's how I used to go about it. I would read books on it, and I would want to go find a conference on it, and I'd want to go talk to somebody about it, and I'd want to figure out how I could discipline or study my way out of it. And you know what always happened in that setting? Nothing. I never got out of it. Never. Like, in fact, it made it worse. When I discovered the thing that helps me get out of sin in my life is when I don't focus anymore on the sin. When I don't give it any more space in my head or my heart, what I discovered is when I think about things that are pure or trustworthy or right, when I begin to meditate on God's grace, when I catch a revelation of how good God is to me and how much he loves me, those have been the things that have rescued me from the sin in my life. And that's why I think Paul, Paul in Philippians 4 here, or he, it's right out of his, he's asking the church to help two women get along together. And he doesn't say, so read a couple books on conflict. You ought to go to a conference and seminar on how to get along with other people. What does he say? Put your mind here think about these things and you'll discover this is no longer an issue in your life and so if you find that just yeah you're having a difficult time go back to philippians 4 here and put your mind on those sorts of things and i think it will deliver you from all sorts of things number four we're moving on your thoughts are not consistent with reality that should be a big red flag (laughs) your thoughts are not consistent with reality and sometimes this happens in things like this you assume that your negative emotions reflect the way things are i feel it therefore it must be true what I'd say is, no, not really, our feelings ought not to dictate for us what is the reality. So you might think, I don't feel like my husband loves me today. And so all day you're, just, you're, you're, you're approaching because of that emotional thought that's going on, and that might not be real at all. Like your husband might be crazy and love you. In fact, he might even be doing things in the day to show you that he loves you, but you can't see any of him because you've got this overwhelming feeling of negativity that I'm telling you is not consistent with reality. Other times it might be you see yourself as the cause of some negative external event, which in fact you were not primarily responsible for. And so this happens to kids. Your parents get a divorce, and then they just, they have, they're just convinced that somehow they were responsible for their parents' divorce. And when that happens, it's something where it is not consistent. What about you? Was considered, I mean, I remember we were having struggles here as a church in 2003. It was weird to see who took great ownership and responsibility for, I think I'm the one responsible for this. It's like, no, that's not true at all. There, this was going on. This wasn't about you at all. And so it just all I'm saying in the end is if in the end it feels like your spouse's addiction is really your response, I mean, no, these are the things where it, your thoughts are not consistent with reality. You jump to conclusions. It might be mind reading. You just know what other people are thinking when you really don't have a clue. Sometimes it could be all or nothing thinking. Do you know people like this? It's always black and white. 
Always black and white. There's no gray area whatsoever. If you fall short of perfection, you are a total failure. You just can't even see things that you can celebrate. Oftentimes it happens in exaggerating the important things. that You, you begin to exaggerate things in your mind that are important, like uh, your, goof, your goof up or someone else's achievement. Or you minimize things. You shrink things like your own desirable qualities or other people's imperfections. If you find others questioning your thoughts in regards to something being real, that could be a sign. And every once in a while, you might have friends in your life who can help you with this, where they can say, I don't think she really does hate you. I think you're being paranoid. Like, if you start to feel those feelings of paranoia. And the interesting thing about paranoia, people who are paranoid often think they're just discerning. Like, people have paranoid thoughts. They think of themselves, I'm just really good at, I'm intuitively very good at knowing what other people think, and I can tell they don't like me. And so, I'm just, no, no, step back for a moment. Let's just see if your thoughts are really consistent with reality. That's, that's number four. Number five, your thoughts become obsessive. Your thoughts become obsessive. Oh, I could preach now. Let me, let me tell you here. You get fixated on a single negative detail exclusively so that your vision of all reality becomes dark. And it's like putting ink in a glass of water just takes over so everything through the glass looks dark. And this is obsessive thoughts. Now, uh, I have confessed before, most of you know, I struggle with OCD. And in OCD, there's two different, some are behavioral and some is cognitive. I struggle in the cognitive end. Like, I got it from my mother because I like to blame my mother. She has OCD. But hers is more behavioral. Like, you know, the people that have to check the oven four times before she leaves the house? That's what she's like. Mine is more cognitive. Now, I have OCD-ish tendencies in terms of just I like order, I like symmetry. I don't, you know, those sorts of things are very important to me. Uh, but for me, like, let me tell you one thing that manifested. Uh, during the Sucker Punch series, I shared the story of Isaac here when he had kidney cancer. And uh, for me, right afterwards, like in September of that year, like he was diagnosed in April, September of that year, the doctors told us he was good, he was healthy, things looked great. And you would think all that nervous anxiety and worry and panic would just like, oh, thank goodness, would go. But it didn't. It turned inward. And what happened is something flipped in my brain and convinced me that I had cancer. And I, for a year, I mean, I, mean, I still struggle with it. Like, I'm in the longest season of peace I've had since 1998. But, but something happened in, in that moment where it triggered in my brain that every day I, had, I was dying of some cancers. And I think even of cancers, I don't think guys could get. I mean, I was getting cancers. And so... <laughs> One day I was at the doctor for like the 15th time, and I was like, you know, his car payment was coming right out of my paycheck. And he said to me after doing some tests, where he said, really, you're, you're fine, you're, you're fine. And I just thought, I am not fine. This is not normal to think all the time you are dying of cancer. And so uh, he kind of sent me to a psychologist, which kind of helped at the time. I mean, and so, but it was this continual obsessive thought that I just could and it was truly, it was truly at seasons, paralyzing in terms of just, joy in life and peace in life. And, and so let me just say, anyone else who struggles with this, this should be a red flag that something is going askew in the thought life when something, and it doesn't have to be about cancer, it could be about anything. You just, you can't stop thinking about it. It's just obsessive in, in, in nature, in your mind. Uh, that's not the life that God's called. He doesn't want us to live in that. He doesn't want us to live in that obsessive. And so if you have that, I would just say there's another thing that uh, uh, a red flag should go off. And uh, by the way, just in terms of uh, personal testimony out of that, uh, Prayer and exercise were the only two things that got me out of it. I can't explain why those two things, but it was always in combination. It wasn't just one or the other. Those two things were the only two things that finally kind of lifted me out of those sorts of things. So anyhow, that's, that's that. Number six, your thoughts are not really your thoughts, but are the result of the thoughts of others. Your thoughts are not really your thoughts, but are the result of the thoughts of others. The struggle we have is we have tapes that play in our mind, and we all do. And as we grow up and mature, the healthy individual is able to go back and say, 
where did I get that from? I mean, why do I think that? And you can see, oh, that's the tape my stepmother used to say to me in terms of you're this, you're not that, or you're never going to be this. And you could be able to identify and go, yeah, I don't have to push play on that any longer. See, the struggle is when those tapes are going off in your mind, you don't realize that it's really from somebody else. And I'm telling you, this is the danger that I think children growing up, even in our neighborhood and community around us, they are experiencing right now parents who are not fit to be parents, who are saying to them, they're stupid, they're no good, they're never going to amount to anything, you're just like your, your dad, which is negative, of course, when it's coming out of the mouth of, of the ex-wife. I mean, and in that, it begins to play little tapes in their heart and mind, and so later when they... Or the girl who, you know, you're, you're really unattractive, you're really not beautiful, I wish you could look like your sister, or I don't care what it is. What happens is when those tapes go off, she becomes desperately insecure. And in that insecurity, she will go after guys in a way that's most unhealthy. And the first guy who pays her any attention, no matter what kind of attention, she'll grab onto that because that tape's going off in her mind. So what happens is we need to identify, where do we get that? Like, where did that come from? And in the end, you might discover that your thoughts aren't really even your thoughts. They're just tapes that are playing, given to you by other people. It might be your parents. It could be your ex-spouse. It doesn't matter what it is. And we want to have the authority in Jesus to say, I, I, don't have to, I don't have to push that any longer. I'm not pushing play on that anymore. Sometimes it's just peer pressure. Sometimes you find... These are my thoughts, my, my, the friendship group I'm in. That's how they think. That's how they behave, and those are the tapes that are going off. And so if in the end you discover, this isn't my thoughts. This is from somebody else. Oftentimes Satan uses those against us. Number seven, your thoughts are often on evil. But just in terms of your thinking, your thoughts are often on evil. And when this happens, I would just say you need to look at what you're taking in. Who and what are you listening to? Because that affects us. Like if you just have a steady diet of listening to something, whether it's music or speakers or friends, or I, mean, I don't care what it is, all of a sudden that's going to capture your attention. It's going to capture your thoughts. And if what you're listening to is predominantly sinful or evil, that's what you're going to be thinking about. Or what are you watching? And, and who are you watching? And those are the things that all of a sudden they capture our attention. They begin to affect our thoughts, or I'd say, what are you reading, or what kind of friends are you hanging out with? Look at the inputs, inputs into your life, examine what they are, and ask, are they contributing to evil? This is what Jesus says in Mark 7, verse 21, 22. It's for from within, out of men's hearts comes evil thoughts, like sexual immorality, and theft, and murder, and adultery, and greed, and malice, and deceit, and lewdness, and envy, and slander, and arrogance, and folly. And so, is lust or adultery your predominant thought? And you just have to be honest with yourself in it. It's like, like really, when you just kind of scan the room, when you see other people, is this what's going on in your mind? Or in your mind, is there a coworker that you're working with that, and you just kind of you have a, pr- a predominant thought of, I bet my life would be better if I was with them. I mean, my marriage is terrible and looks like this, and this is so things are going on. And I, bet, I bet if we were together, then everything would be fine. They would take care of my emotional needs that we talked about la- last week. If that become your predominant thought, those should be huge red flags that come up in our life that, hey, we are headed in a wrong direction. Is anger or revenge a predominant thought? Or just Maybe it's something that happened to you. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe it's one of your kids. I don't know what it is, but you just have anger and this thought thing. If every time you get in the car or you hear a particular song, all of a sudden you have this speech. Right? Did anyone lived in that before? I mean, I've lived before. Like, you, just, you keep making speeches, and boy, when I see them, I'm going to say that. That could be a sign that something's off in our thought life. Or maybe it's greed. You just find you're not content in any, like in any area. You're just, I'm not content anymore. You just want more. You've got to have more. My house is this. My car is this. My clothes are this. I don't like. And sometimes things that fuel that, especially around Christmas time, you know, all the catalogs that come into your Sometimes just that, you start looking at the catalogs, you're thinking, 
Do you look at catalogs anymore? Or do we just go online? Or you're online. Let's just say we're online nowadays. You start looking at all those things. It looks all nice and new and shiny. You start looking at your own stuff. And next thing you know, the spirit of discontentment comes out or greed comes out, and it takes over your thought. You can't get it out. You used to be grateful for the car that you had and how wonderful God gave you those blessings. Now you get it. It's like, I can't believe it doesn't have heated seats. This is absurd. Who can live without heated seats? I mean, where does that come from, right? Now, have you ever been in a car with heated seats? I totally get it because, like, whoa. <laughs> it's toasty. I get back in my 96 Camry. It's like, pfft. So, I mean, where does that come from? You've got to examine those inputs. Where is this coming from? If you're wanting to always get drunk, like, that's just a predominant thought. Like, throughout the day, I can't wait to get home. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to drink. The, I mean, you have to ask yourself, why? Why is this? I mean, just kind of roll that back. Why is this thought continually coming into your mind? Is it because is it you're depressed? And oftentimes that's what it is. It's just depression, and, and drinking does kind of help get us out of that. Is it, is it, the desire, is it some sort of... Uh, uh, hopelessness is going, I mean, just kind of roll it back and ask these questions. If, you're, if, if you have sexual thoughts that you know, yeah, this isn't God's calling for my life, why is that? Is there an insecurity in your life? Do you have a desire to be desired in a way that you don't feel anywhere else or you feel unloved? And just kind of ask those questions. And so if your thoughts are often on evil, go back to that Philippians 4 passage and see if you can't meditate on these things and come out of that. Number eight. By the way, I would also say, just tell God all your thoughts. He knows it anyhow. I tell God my thoughts all the time. Like even sinful ones. Like I just say, hey, I'm thinking about this, and I'm struggling with this, and I need you to get me out of it. This is where, And so, I mean, God doesn't go, I can't believe you're thinking. I mean, he already knows. I mean, I mean, he knows, right? And I found great comfort just being able to be honest with God to say, I'm having this thought right now, and I need help. And so whatever it is. And so I that. Number eight, your thoughts are never about God. That should be another warning light that goes, when you have lots of thoughts and none of them are about God. You don't ever think about God. You don't ever think about your spiritual life. That should be a warning like for us as followers of Jesus, something's wrong. And so I can't tell you, if you just read the Psalms, just count the number of times the psalmist talks about meditating on God or the things of God, on his law, on his precepts, on his love, his ways, his deeds. Psalm 119, 99, I have more insight than all of my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. Or Psalm 48, 9, within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. And so I would say these are some of the purposes for us of things like Scripture, of study, of memorization, of meditation to get our thoughts on God. This is why worship becomes so important. It helps direct our thoughts back on God. This is why even community together is so important because it brings our thoughts back to God. But if you find, because you can do this, you can live all day without thinking about God, and that can go for several days, and that can go a week, and that can go a month, and you could really think, when was the last time I really had any serious thoughts about God or meditated on God. And if you find in your life, yeah, that's where you're at, that should be a red flag goes up and says, hey, something's going on in our thought life we need to pay attention to. Number nine, let me give you this one. This is for the extra sensitive among us. Like, you're very sensitive and beat yourself up all the time. And this is number nine. You beat yourself up for a fleeting thought. And this is different to me. Like, in some ways, I think you have control ultimately of thoughts by way of taking them captive and making them obedient to Jesus. But you don't always have control of that initial immediate fleeting thought. You just don't. And, I mean, have you ever had just crazy things pop into your head? Like you're sitting there like, I wonder if I could just stab that woman. You ever had that just that? <laughs> Anyone else? Am I the only one? Like, our pastor's psycho. He is, but it's a fleeting thought. Like, I don't entertain it. I'm not going to act on it. I'm not moving with it. It just popped in my head somehow. I don't know. Maybe I watched one too many horror films. I don't know what it is, but do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I, I confess too much today. Like, what do we listen to this guy for? He's <laughs> for the extra sense of among us, every once in a while, I find people beat themselves up for those fleeting thoughts. And what I'd say is, 
you largely don't have control of those. They just kind of popped in your head, and I, I don't know where they came from or why. I mean, maybe if you trace it back, maybe this story or this movie or this experience. But don't beat yourself up for it. The simple thing is simply say, huh, that's strange, and move on, <laughs> right? Just move on. The time it becomes concerning is when we really start entertaining it. Like, we really start mulling it over in our mind. We start really, okay, is the knife sharp enough? Am I, am I get upset? Like, see, that's where you go, hey, that's something wrong with that. So let me just say, hey, if you've got fleeting thoughts that pop in your head, no matter what they are, for whatever reason, don't freak out about that. Don't begin to think, oh, my goodness, I'm just crazy. No, I mean, some, we don't have control of those things. So I'm just let you off the hook on there. Number 10, I'm going to close with this. You've given no one in your life permission to challenge your thoughts. You've given no one in your life permission to challenge your thoughts. And this is difficult. I mean, it really does require from us a level of vulnerability and a level of openness and a level of transparency that allows, and I'm not saying open up to anybody. This isn't like, you know, your neighbor four doors down that you don't know wants to show up and talk about your marriage. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I mean, people that, that, that know you, that love you, you know they love you. You know they want good in your life. They know that, I mean, right, that's like, are you open to hearing them say, hey, in regards to this thought, are you open to challenge for those sort of things? And the truth is, this is what's so dangerous about the thought life. We're, Satan's tactics against us really are good. Like, I, I don't want to dis- Earlier I said, I think we give him too much credit, but I'm not, I don't want to dismiss him. I mean, he is a master liar and has the most subtle ways of getting into our heads and lie to us in ways that we, just, we don't even know it at the time. We can't even see it. And the reason why I think God places us in community is so there's other people around us who can see things we can't see at the moment and are able to speak into that and say, hey, can I, can, I know you're thinking this. Can we, let's talk about this for a moment. Well, I mean, do you think that's really what God, do you think he really wants you to struggle with that condemnation? you really think he wants you to struggle with that negative? I mean, whatever it is. And so just if I were to ask you, who gets to speak into your thoughts? And if you're thinking, actually, nobody. That should be a red flag that says, yeah, you need to find somebody spouse, friendship, whatever it is, I mean, who can help speak into your life those thoughts to be able to challenge them because we all have times, we all have thoughts that need to be challenged. We all have things that we think that we need somebody who loves us and cares for us to come in and say, hey, can, let's, let's talk about this. And so those are the things I would offer to you. You see that even uh, in, at this point, this last point, uh, Paul confronts Peter about his thinking in Galatians 2. Like, Peter knows what God's will and heart is for the Gentiles. I mean, he was the first one to get the vision that Gentiles were getting into the kingdom of God. And some along, where along the lines, he started hanging out with more of the, they call them the Judaizers. They were very strict on the law and having to follow the law of Moses. And even his own thoughts, he started to act differently towards Gentiles. Wouldn't eat with them, wouldn't sit with them. They started to kind of isolate. And Paul goes right up to the apostle Peter and just challenges that thinking. He says, listen, you know that none of us made it by the law. I mean, he just challenges his thoughts. And so it's a great example of, yeah, having somebody able to come in and challenge our thinking of that. Here's my conclusion. Go back to 2 Corinthians, and let's just pray that the Lord will bless us by the Spirit to be able to take every thought we have captive. So when it comes in our mind, we're just going to take it captive and make sure it is obedient to Christ. And here's what I'd say. And rebuke some thoughts. It's okay. Like I was telling you when I was obsessed with having cancer all the time, I, I would literally at times have to say out loud the truth that I do not have cancer and rebuke the thought. Like just, I, Lord, I just rebuke this in the name of Jesus. I just, I don't want to think this anymore. And then after rebuking the thought, to affirm them the truth. To affirm, yeah, that's not, this is not really happening in my life. She does not really feel this way about me. I rebuke the paranoia I feel about this friendship group, and I'm, I'm not going to live in that any longer, and affirm the truth. And so those things, I think, combined will help us as these warning lights go off in our life in terms of our thought life. So I appreciate I hope that's helpful. If you missed anything want to go back, this is all online. We've got both the podcast and even the list if you want to go back and meditate. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. And if you wouldn't mind, let's stand together, and uh, let's just pray.
Father, we come to you and we thank you that you are a God who does not condemn us, who is trying in every way by the power of your spirit to lead us through a process of having our minds renewed. And so we just say out loud this morning, we long for that thing, to ha- that process to be at work in our life. We want to have renewed minds. We want to have the thoughts that you've called us to. And so in that, I pray that you would just give us warning signs in our life when our thinking is not right or according to you, and then that we'd have the courage then to move into a new direction of thinking. And this is our prayer for your glory's sake we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.